This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. Today, we're going to talk about how Google continues to become a competitor to businesses. Here to speak with me about the topic is Kevin Indig, who is the VP SEO and content marketing at German Accelerator. Previously, he ran SEO at Atlas Sassen and Daily Motion. Companies Kevin worked with in the past include eBay, Eventbrite, Bosch, Samsung, Pinterest, Columbia, UBS, and many more. Kevin is also the publisher of the TechBound newsletter and the TechBound Conversations podcast. Kevin, welcome to the show. To have me, Stefan, it's a pleasure. Before we go into the topic, let's let's talk a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in digital marketing? If you want me to go all the way back, I would probably say computer games. Um, <laughs> and if you, you know, if we wouldn't go that far back, I earned my chops on the agency side. Um, mm-hmm. I was in consulting for about five years. Um, and then had the chance to join a company in-house. And just like you, Stefan, I'm, I was born and raised in Germany, the son of an American father and of a German mother, which gave me two um, citizenships and allowed me to come over to the U.S. six years ago. And after working for companies like Atlassian, um, I was then finally able to join uh, G2 last year. And um, I'm also a mentor in the, at the German Accelerator Network. That's great. What was so interesting for you um, on the digital marketing side that you decided to go there? You know, if, if we don't go as far back as, as computer games. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and it's great because I just this week talked uh, with someone about that question. And so when I really think about it, I would say that one thing that was very fascinating to me is this 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 fast changing environment Mm -hmm. right like you constantly deal with new things um you know the the core discipline that i grew out of which is seo or even technical seo changed probably five times in the last 20 years right it's like continuous development and at the same time i really enjoy the creative and analytical aspect of online marketing right like since the rise of platforms like google and facebook were we're able to do performance marketing and measure our returns and impact very very deliberately but at the same time there's still a strong creative sides to whatever marketing you pursue, whether that's finding new strategies or the creative itself, copywriting, content marketing, all that type of stuff. It's not, it's not, we're not at the stage yet where algorithms can do everything for us, right? We still need yeah. that human element. And so I enjoy that divide. Interesting. You, you already mentioned Google and, you know, the main topic today is how Google continues to become a competitor to businesses. Google, Amazon, those, those are probably two of the businesses that, that have huge, huge market share and, and they have, have started to kind of not only provide advertising services or a platform for people to, to offer their services and advertise their services, but they, they seem to also start to, to offer products that seem to, to be demanded quite a lot. So when we talk about Google continues to become a competitor to businesses, what do you mean by that? Right. To set the stage... Um, Google is probably the most successful startup in human history, right? Since birth or since going public, they raked in about 20% 
uh, revenue growth year over year, every year, right? There was hardly a year where they didn't grow by 20%, which is yeah. unprecedented. And that also puts a lot of pressure on the company. They had a couple of well-played cards. So, I mean, Google is a, is a company that's very good at acquisitions. Most of their most successful products were came from, from mergers and acquisitions. And then a couple of years ago, or better said, about 10 years ago, they got very lucky because of the rise of smartphones and they pushed that development forward in part because, sure, it's important to be present on smartphones. But in the other part, it's another platform where Google can show ads. Mm-hmm. And so that also allowed them to really, you know, um, keep this trend of uh, revenue growth. But now they come at a point where it's getting harder and harder. And as a result of that, in combination with their amazing technology, of course, I mean, they're leading in terms of machine learning or one of the leading companies in machine learning, research and technology. They answer more and more searches directly, right? So they send mm-hmm. less traffic to websites and they answer more searches directly. And that's what I mean by when I'm saying that Google is becoming a bigger competitor because it occupies a bigger part of the market that before doing that belonged to websites that were ranking or paying for Google traffic. Yeah, yeah. So I think a good example there is, and I think you know the listeners will have noticed that when you search for for flights, for example, that you, you still have you know your paid ads on top, but then all of a sudden there is kind of a Google native uh, block in there where you can basically now select your flight time um, or give you results and it kind of leads you to a separate page where you then see all the airlines that can bring you from A to B for that time period, basically. And which means yeah, at the end of the day that Google has a much bigger real estate on the search result page than any other company that might advertise against flights from Los Angeles to Berlin, for example. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's just one of the many examples of where Google provides a direct answer, right? So um, there is one integration that we call featured snippets that is basically an answer in the search results. And in, in many cases, it makes it redundant to even click on an organic result. But Google also has this, um, I would say, database that they call knowledge graph that they've recently evolved to the next level, which they call topic layer. And that database allows them to, on a mathematical level, understand the relationship between entities and um, topics. And so entities are basically things, right? So they're, they're like their names, their places, books, people. And Google has, a, has probably the largest database of that uh, in the knowledge graph. Mm-hmm. And now, as I mentioned, they added the topic layer, which is the same thing just for topics. So Google can very well understand, to make this more tangible, when people imply COVID-19 with searching for coronavirus or when they searched for coronavirus a couple of years ago, it was it was you know like a completely different meaning. So Google mm-hmm. is getting much 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 better uh, in recognizing meaning itself and what's implied, and answers those searches as well. So when you search for something like CRM software, you get a nice list of different CRM solutions. When you search for something like what to watch, Google will. Um, suggests a lot of different TV shows or movies to you when you Mm -hmm. search for something like what to make for breakfast, then Google has an answer. So these simpler searches um, yield in much less traffic now because Google all answers it for themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, from a Google perspective, they're kind of following what they set out to to deliver, right? They want to provide information as quick as possible to people that are looking for information. 
You're absolutely right. Um, from a Google perspective, it's you know they they pursue their vision and mission. In fact, uh, last year in 2019 at Google I/O, the CEO of Google and now also CEO of Alphabet, Sundar Pichai, publicly said that they're going to transition from a search engine to an assistant that helps you getting things done. So, and then, you know, there's a lot to be interpreted into this. I already alluded to the business model implications and monetization implications, but sure, you know, for users in a lot of cases, it is a very good result with exceptions, of course, but at scale, great result is the websites and the businesses that relied on either organic traffic or even paid traffic that suffer under this transition. And for Google, of course, it's a it's a very fine line to walk to get this right and not cannibalize their own business model. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a that's a great point. Because at the end of the day, when when businesses are no longer able to use you know, search engines, uh, in this case Google, to drive traffic to their website, which means you know, to or to sell products or offer services then their business goes down unless they find another channel at the end of the day where they can get new prospects or, or new customers from. That's so, right. And that's, I think that's where you know, Google Flight is a bit different than the other integrations that we see. And that's very interesting because Google Flights is, is more of a, um, of a, of a, of a like out-of-the-box conversion funnel to book a flight. Um, and Google is still experimenting with how to monitor it accurate. Very recently, they had the OTAs or um, the better said, not the OTAs, sorry, the the um, the flight companies bid on like pretty much ads to appear in that in that funnel. Um, but they realized that that's not the best way to monetize that. So now they're looking for a different way. And I could see that potentially Google follows some sort of a of a lead model or an arbitrage model where they just charge. Um, the flight companies or the airlines um, commissions for whenever somebody books a flight through that, which would probably yield in a lot of money. So I think the verdict is still out of how they monetize that. But um, as you mentioned correctly, like Google, Google covers and integrates more workflows besides just providing the answer even. Yeah. And as I just mentioned, you know, from my perspective, that just means that the, let's, let's stay with, with the, you know, the flight example that, aggregator sites that do exactly the same, that they will get less traffic at the end of the day. Do you see any other implications for businesses when it, when it comes to Google experimenting, pushing into, into areas that might negatively impact businesses? Yeah, you know, be, besides just um, lower reach or a harder time getting getting customers and getting brand exposure is also getting much more difficult to differentiate yourself. So when we stay with um, Google Flights or even Google, like the hotel booking engine that they also recently uh, launched, then um, as a brand, you're being basically commoditized, right? You're like, the only way to differentiate yourself is through price or maybe a little logo. But uh, other than that, it's fully in control of Google to send traffic and buyers to a certain airline or to a certain hotel. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's even worse, right? Like uh, at least before you could bid on ads and within ads, you could differentiate yourself and, and, and promote your brand and build your brand. But now you're just one choice of many. And sure, you could, you know, philosophically argue that the, the, the whole 
flight sector and travel sector is a commodity already, but you know, um, we definitely see that being accelerated and driven forward by Google by making the whole purchasing process like even more commodified. Yeah. Do you think there's a danger for kind of a monopoly in, in kind of a you know from a, from an aggregator perspective? Because if Google dominates that part, and you know Google is the most dominant search engine at the end of the day with I don't know. 80-90%. That means if, if, if they are able to funnel traffic through their native integration there, that takes a lot of traffic away from other sites like Kayak or, uh, I don't know, Hotwire, for example. Oh, yeah. I mean, th those companies are probably going to go under. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit harsh here, but that's what I would expect mm -hmm. uh, with, all, with all due to respect. But um, I think Google is deep in regulation territory, but we don't yet know how to regulate those new tech companies. Mm -hmm. um, I actually recently wrote an article about Google's market share. Yeah. It's very interesting. For example, in search on, Google, on mobile devices, they have over 90% market share across the board. So they're mm -hmm. absolutely dominating that space. Once you look at the desktop side of things, it's only 73%. So that's where we already see a bit less, still very dominant. But then when you look at even other products, they have way, way lower market share. So one example is the wearable operating system sector where Google, you know, like Google um, acquired Fitbit and yeah. all of a sudden their market share jumped by a lot. But before that, they had hardly anything. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the one problem that we're facing when it comes to regulating Google and tech companies in general is that, first of all, not all of their products and markets are, you know, are or they're not dominating all markets and, and, yeah. and uh, products. Number two is that users still technically have a choice so you know uh, you know as opposed to the to the microsoft regulation case 20 years ago like google users could technically still use bing but they don't so there's no kind of unfair advantage that google leverages in that sense and then google also does not exclude other players from the market technically now mm -hmm. it starts to get a bit more fuzzy you know with the whole kind of airline and google flights booking thing which is why they're very very careful in how they position it and what they do uh, and we've also seen a huge slowdown in M&A, basically, like in, in acquiring other companies, because Google, because Google is getting so careful with, uh, you know, being on on the um, on the uh, regulators' radar. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they get this right. Again, they're under an immense pressure to keep their uh, revenue high and hit those goals, and at the same time, they have um, like a smaller space to navigate. So I think it's a, it's probably one of the most interesting times for for search out there ever. When when we look at the winners and the and the losers when it comes to you know Google becoming a much more dominant figure in in their own search results, are there actually industries areas that benefit positively from from that situation? Well, um, there might be a few. So I think. Any site that provides very simple, basic information is probably like should not bank on search as a as a channel anymore. And what comes to mind specifically is something like dictionaries mm -hmm. uh, or reference sites. So dictionaries uh, like um, dictionary.com, for example. Um, I think for, like. 
their business model is is having a really rough time unless they build a very big, big, important brand, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody who's offering more sophisticated information, I think, still has good chances to benefit from Google. And just to be clear, like 50% of traffic is still coming from Google as a platform, whether paid or organic. So it is still a great channel to invest in. You just have to make sure that you don't fall into this area where Google can easily provide the information for you. So Wikipedia is another interesting example, right? Like Wikipedia is one of the largest sites out there. It's basically a nonprofit, and Google heavily leverages Wikipedia's information for many things, sometimes mm-hmm. for direct answers. Um, and then the question is, like, how much traffic Wikipedia still gets? Now, that that information is public. You can actually see how much traffic Wikipedia still gets. And so far, there's, there's sure, traffic has gone down, but it hasn't gone to zero as you would expect it. And so that strengthens my point about really considering is the information that I provide or the content that I create, is that something very simple that you can, you know, answer within maybe a line or, or in a sentence? Or do I provide something more sophisticated where even if Google tries to give a direct answer to people, they would still have to click through my site to really understand what's going on? Yeah. But I mean... <laughs> That all points towards, in general, aggregator sites, and there are lots of aggregator sites uh, from different industries out there, that they probably will have the greatest challenge to remain in business or to to remain or increase their business at the end of the day. Because Google, as, as we talked about in the flight area, is already what they're covering. And you mentioned hotel is what they just released. You know, who says that they're not going, for example, into the insurance area where, you know, we've seen a number of businesses now pop up and in other areas where there are uh, products or services that are compared on website. Yeah, uh, that is definitely the reality. I think uh, aggregators and meta searches have a really hard time and might go under. Uh, when we look, for example, at OTAs like Expedia and TripAdvisor, they are bleeding right now. Uh, mm. Look at the stock price for TripAdvisor. It's not looking that good. I mean, sure, like right now with, with COVID-19 and the lockdown, that's... That's a given. But even before that, uh, towards the end of last year, it was looking pretty bad. And Expedia even kicked out their CEO. And they mm-hmm. mentioned in the reasoning that um, a, a huge underperformance in SEO is one of the main reasons for that. Yeah. The interesting thing, and that I mean, that hopefully makes it a bit more tangible for the listeners here uh, and a bit more useful, is that there is one OTA that does not see that impact. And that is Booking.com. And they're an aggregator as well, but they were able to grow their organic traffic by 50%. I mean, 1.5 exit in 2019. But the the interesting fact is that they get more than 55% of their traffic from direct traffic. So what Mm Booking.com did is they were able to build a really strong brand and not rely on Google, really. So a lot of their, their visitors come directly to them and even when they come there, Booking does a really good job in signing them up for an email newsletter or registering on the site, which allows them to better understand their users and put like uh, push them into an environment that they can control. Yeah. The thing is, don't get me wrong, Booking.com still is one of the largest spenders on Google Ads. I think they still spend over a billion dollars per quarter on Google ads, mm. but you see that this trend is actually declining and they're investing more in other brand building channels. So um, I think brand is the key here and 
playing the game until you can actually opt out, until your brand is so strong that people come directly to you, that is the best course of action that I see for aggregators and yeah. uh, for uh, better searches. You just mentioned brand building channels. From your, Which channels do you see as brand building channels that sit outside of Google? Yeah, I think video is very interesting. Um, anything in terms of display ads, um, retargeting certainly has a positive impact. If you can afford it, TV, of course. But then uh, anything in terms of social media, uh, YouTube, those kind of platforms, I would heavily invest in those. Podcasts, certainly a great branding channel. Um, and then just brand ad campaigns. You know, I think if I, it always depends on how much budget you have and how big you are, of course, right? And if you're a local business or like a SMB or uh, an enterprise business, um, but there's still many opportunities even outside of Google to build a really strong brand. And then in the end, it comes back to classic marketing stuff like positioning, fulfilling your brand promise, and, and just having like a concise story that people can resonate with. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned when we said, uh, talked about uh, Booking.com, you said that they're doing a good job engaging with people once they're on their site and keeping them kind of in their universe, basically. It sounds like now is the time to really rethink, especially for the businesses that are in danger of becoming competitive targets, Google, to, to look into how they can capture people that come to their site in forms of, you know, sending them up for newsletters or, or, or other ways to be able to re-engage with them. You know, I already said signing up for newsletter. You mentioned it earlier. What other activities can company do to engage with their customers and then to build a database, and then so they don't have to go through other channels to engage with them? Yeah. So um, we mentioned newsletters, and then any web app or native app signups, like download my app, as would like Yelp, uh, which also suffers greatly under Google's competition and has for many years. And recently, I mean, we're recording this in April. They recently let uh, I think a thousand people go. Um, so when this, let's see where they are when this episode comes out, uh, right. but so web apps, uh, native apps, and then any sort of community you have, right. Any sort of web forum, Slack channel, other, uh, sorts of communities, LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups, whatever you have to get people closer to your brands and into an environment you can control is of help. Now, the, the almost bigger question I would ask myself is what is an incentive or a pull that I can provide for users to do that? Mm. Um, because uh, to be very blunt here, um, I think a lot, most companies do email very poorly. And I think email is actually a very underserved channel now that all everybody uses Slack at work, right? Mm. We, we communicate through that. So uh, I just think that most, like, you know, the classic kind of offers and coupons via email just don't cut it anymore, right? You really want to build more of a um, of a pull and an incentive. And, uh, you know, to stick with the example, Booking.com gives you, I think, 50% off if you sign up right away. So they have like some very strong levers. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it can be different things. Sometimes it can be access to knowledge that is really hard to get. It can be interviews with people. It can be a curation of information. It can be, you know, and like, because... I think us as marketers, we have to be creative in how we get people to sign up. And once we have them sign up, it's not enough for them to just be signed up. They need to yeah. be constantly engaged. But the, the reward for that is that you're not dependent on a channel like Google uh, or a company when it decides that it wants more of the piece of the pie for itself. Yeah. It sounds like you have to work much harder now and moving forward in order to really maintain or grow your business at the end of the day. Before, <laughs> I remember the time when you paid five cents or even less for brand click uh, on Google, 
for example, or when we had Overture, which uh, later on became Yahoo. And, and you got cheap traffic and you could bid on so many terms that it was hard not to have a positive return on investment, for example. But over the years, obviously, that has changed with an increase in, in competition and adjustment of how search engine work and, and how prices for specific keywords are determined. So nowadays, it's, it's not only, you know, let's go into Google and that's the channel that we have to be on. You have to look into a wide array of not only channels, but tactics and strategies in order to, to be successful. That is absolutely right. It is much harder. And what are the reasons for that? The reasons are that we basically have a duopoly when it comes to digital advertising. Mm -hmm. Facebook and Google own the absolute majority of the market. I think in, in, in I think combined, they have around 80% market share. The only challenger to that now is Amazon, which is in itself interesting. But um, that is certainly one one uh, problem. And those platforms are matured, right? Like Google mm -hmm. is over 20 years old. Uh, Facebook, I think, started in, in 2004. So they're over 15 years old now. And that's why, as you mentioned, it was, you know, even 10 years ago was much easier because the CPCs were lower and the competition was uh, was was less. Uh, now that's not the case anymore. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. Everybody has understood that digital advertising is important and that SEO is important. And the problem with SEO and content marketing is that not only do companies compete more, so you have more content out there, you have better optimized or, or more optimized websites out there, but Google in itself had to adjust to this flood of, of content out there and this flood of companies and has made its algorithms more sophisticated. So yeah. it's not just more competitors. The game itself is harder as well. And that's absolutely right. Like you, it, it is not as easy anymore. And uh, the third problem is that it is very difficult for new consumer platforms to come up because Google and Facebook have such a stronghold in the market and uh, buy other companies competitors but like whatsapp and instagram mm -hmm. uh if those companies wouldn't have been acquired by facebook we would probably see a slightly different landscape and it might have been easier for marketers now to reach so i think until we see the next big company we can argue whether that's something like a tiktok or uh, something else you know i think snapchat had a chance at one point as well but those are you know deep deep conversations that need a lot more context so i think as as, as long as we don't see this next big consumer platform that provides marketers opportunities to advertise and create organic reach it's probably going to stay that hard mm -hmm. but i mean from my perspective there's just a general danger and you just said it you know if you look at WhatsApp and Instagram, um, they were bought by Facebook because they had they had the pockets, right? They they could splash out billions of dollars for those software solutions. Any company nowadays that comes up, how easy is it for for Google or Facebook and even Amazon to go in and say, oh, they're they're going to become a danger unless we are going to pick them up now and take them off the market and make them be part of our business. I think it's a bit harder, again, because um, those big tech companies are scared to be regulated. Um, at the same time, it depends on the stage that these up-and-coming are on. So I think until $80 million acquisition costs, you don't really have to report how much you paid for a company. Mm -hmm. So what I've seen is platforms just snap up younger startups. I think HQ, uh, um, there was a company, a strong growth, especially in a very young population was snapped up by Facebook a couple of years ago. So there is still a bit of a gray zone for these big companies to make 
But um, something like TikTok, like that's never like you should never say never. But I, can't, I have a hard time imagining that uh, a Google would buy TikTok or something like that. I think they're much more going the route that Facebook went with Snapchat, where they just basically occupied and destroyed Snapchat's market mm-hmm. by copying stories. And so now we see this uh, very interesting fight between YouTube and Instagram, where YouTube suddenly adds stories, and then Instagram suddenly makes their live streams accessible on desktop. And so you see that the two have more and more touch points. I think that's going to be a very interesting battle to see um, or to follow. So my take is that either we're going to see on acquisitions of potential competitors or that the big uh, tech companies are going to copy what those up-and-coming platforms are offering and trying to cut off their air. Okay. You know, we're coming towards the end of the the, the podcast episode here, um, Kevin. How do you see this all playing out? What What is your prediction for, for the future as it relates to, to the likes of Google, Facebook? And it's, let's pull in Amazon there. As, as, as you said, they probably have 20% of the market and they probably will continue to grow um, as they are the search engine where most of the people start their product searches, right? Um, so so how, how is the space going to look like five, 10 years down the line? Man, if I take all of this with a grain of salt, because if I knew I would invest in the right companies <laughs> or not, or shorten their stock or whatever, uh, my take is that within the next five years, I don't expect a lot of disruption to happen. Um, Instead, I think marketers have to be creative. I think they have to look at smaller platforms, smaller forums or communities and um, find ways to advertise on those. So I don't think there's kind of going to be this next big single platform. I think until we have a new platform on the rise, which I think we're going to see in five plus years, Mm -hmm. until that happens, we have to look at much smaller communities and platforms and be creative about how we can uh, leverage those to to acquire new customers, and then of course play the game as we know it today, just better and harder if possible. Um, so there are no real shortcuts in that sense. I think uh, you know beyond the next five years, and we talk about a ten year horizon. I could definitely see or expect either a new technology or another competitor on the horizon. And there's so much that can happen, you know, until then. I mean, just look at the situation that we're in right now. Uh, anything is possible. Nobody knows what the next few months are going to look like. And um, when, I'm, when I'm saying that, what I'm thinking about specifically is, of course, the economy, what the implications, implications are here. And then also China. Uh, we see a lot of big or a lot of tech coming out of China they're innovating at a fast pace. And again, like a TikTok or a Weibo or a Tutiao and, and all these other um, like huge startups are going to become legit competitors to Western companies and also consumer mm-hmm. platforms. So that is going to be very, very interesting to watch as well. And uh, I, I, at this point, I'm probably going to stop predicting and assuming because it gets very you know philosophical and 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 fuzzy but these are kind of the big trends that i'm paying a lot of attention to yeah yeah well kevin thank you so much for your time today thank you for joining the performance deliberate podcast and and sharing your thoughts on how google continues to become a competitor to businesses if people want to find out more about you or the company you work for how how can they get in touch 
Thanks. Yeah, again, it's, it's been my absolute pleasure. Love geeking out on that. And uh, if, if you know, if listeners found that interesting, I blog a lot on my personal blog, which is kevin-indic.com. Um, I also send a weekly newsletter, which is completely for free. No, you know, you can just get that in your in your inbox. Or blog on topics, and I also curate the five books that week. And this newsletter is called Tech. Also, a little podcast attached to it. So I think if you just go to my site, you'll find all that information. And if you're interested in the company that we're working for, it's com, And hopefully, we can assist you in finding the software that you're looking for. Perfect. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us or leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at symphonichq. Thanks again, and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.